You can be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and we'll be reading that here in a minute, and then pray for our, you know, the children in the back, but also the teachers and us as we dive into the gospel according to Mark this morning. So Mark chapter 12, we are in verse 18, going to verse 34. And I want to point out that, so a few weeks ago we had Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the colt, the donkey. That was from Tim St. Louis, if you remember that. So from that moment, we're in the Holy Weeks. So we've been in the Holy Week of Jesus, the last week of Jesus for a couple weeks now. And we're still in the last week of Jesus today. Um, I should have looked at what day this was that we're going to read about. It might have been Tuesday, maybe. So, But we'll read this together. And going back to last week, remember last week as we go through this sermon too, give back to God what is God's. Because there's going to be something there that we've got to give back to God in this passage. Verse 18, here we go. Then the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, How God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask Him any more questions. Pray with me as we begin to dive into this passage and learn from it today. Lord God, we just sang a song that said, You are holy, holy, holy. 
We come to you humbly, thanking you for the throne of grace that we can be present in before you. Today there may be people that need grace, mercy, that only can come from you. I also pray that all of us listening to your word today, that we would have open ears, open minds, open hearts, open eyes to understand and see and hear and notice things that you want us to notice today. Help us to look to you, the God of the living, not the dead. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You see the title. Let's say it together. Jesus challenges us. You're like, Jesus isn't here. How is he going to challenge us? Well, he's, he is here. He's in the text. He's with us. He's going to teach us something. And you look at the word there in the middle, challenges. I like the word challenge. Do you like to challenge others? You go up to somebody and say, I challenge you to something. Like Mike Wilson, I'll go up to him and say, I'll challenge you to nine holes of golf. Let's go. And he always beats me. This year I'm going to beat him. But you challenge people. You, you get excited about something that's in front of you and say, I'm challenging you to this game or this project or who can do it better. Let's have a challenge. So I looked up the word challenge. It's both a transitive verb and a noun. As a verb, it's this, to demand as due or deserved, required. As a noun, it's a stimulating task or problem. Jesus challenges us. Jesus gives us something that's required. Jesus gives us a stimulating task in this passage. Something to do. And I think it's required if you put them together. It's a task that's required for us as followers of Jesus. There's a couple of them, and we're going to find that out. If you were up here with me, and you look down at my, I usually have a full page. I came in on Monday, and I read this passage, and I, and I read it, and I was like, man, two phrases are just popping out at me. So that's where I'm going with this. If you look at my notes here, I, wanna, I just want to show you. Here's this page. I've already said challenge. Here's my second page. And here's my third page. So if, some, if I said, somebody needs to preach today, and they're like, can I just read your notes? Well, it would be like a two-minute sermon or less. But I want you to understand that in this text, I read it for the first time this week and I said, that is so needed today in my own life and in the lives of those who say they follow Jesus and say they go to church and want to participate in the gathering of believers. So just look at the start there. Then the Sadducees, where you're like, man, this is another group Coming to oppose Jesus. Why are these people going? Always questioning Jesus. 
First, you, have, you know, you always have the Pharisees. You got teachers of the law. You got chief priests. Now you have you had the Herodians last a couple weeks. You know, last week the Herodians too. Now you have the Sadducees. So you're thinking, man, this is another group. I got to. Uh, what do they believe? How are they coming to uh, question Jesus? And you see there, Mark adds, who say there is no resurrection. So this group of leaders, this sect, they don't believe there's a resurrection. There's no resurrection. And something more interesting, I looked up sources, and there's something else that's interesting. They believe the alleged belief in the canonicity, which they only believe in the first five books, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. That's where they go for their rule and practice. So they, don't, they say there's no resurrection, and they say the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, that's where we go. That's what we read, that's what we study, that's what all we do. If you don't believe in that or agree with that, then you're not with us. If you listen to the reading of Mark, what are they asking about? At the resurrection, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, if you don't say there's a resurrection, why are you asking Jesus about the resurrection? Contradiction there, just ridiculous to me. And also, you'll see in Jesus' response, where does he take them? He says, have you not read in the book of Moses? Right up their alley. The Sadducees, there's no resurrection. Jesus, whose wife is this going to be at the resurrection? Jesus says, well, the book of Moses, I'm going to take you there. <laughs> so the Sadducees are like, we tried to trap Jesus, but he is spot on okay. That's what they probably should have thought, but they probably weren't thinking that. They were like, what is Jesus doing? He's supposed to not say that. So the Sadducees, there you go a little bit about the Sadducees. Now I'm not going to get into much of 19 through 23, whether it was a real story or not, I don't know. They just kind of questioned Jesus. They want to know, like, there's seven of them. Whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus, look at verse 24. That's where we're going to pick it up. Because this is what I was struck by, first of all, on Monday. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? And then, at the very end, in verse 27, it says, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In the NIV, it says, You are badly mistaken. So he starts off with, Are you not in error because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God? Then at the very end, he says, You are badly mistaken. You are not in error, or you are in error, and then you are badly mistaken, the same thing. In the Greek, same meaning. So he bookends his answer with, you are in error. <laughs> You're wrong. You made a mistake. Listen to me. Okay? So in the Greek, to err, that's what it means. And then I looked up err in the English. To make a mistake. To violate an accepted standard of conduct. The archaic means stray. These Sadducees Jesus says, are you not in error? Are you not making a mistake? Are you violating accepted standard of conduct? Are you straying from the Scriptures? Jesus is saying, he looks, I think He looks at him in the eye. Like some of us may need to know, you are in error. 
because you don't know what the Bible says. People don't want to hear about the Bible. They think it's old. But if we look at people and say, well, you might be mistaken. Let's go to the scriptures and see if you're right. And Jesus says you are in error because you don't know the scriptures, which you claim to know. Sadducees, you know the first five books, you claim to know it. Or the power of God. And then I was struck by that. First of all, you're in error because of the scriptures. So I was like, for the scripture part, I'm like, am I reading my Bible? First of all, that's the first thing you could ask somebody. Are you reading the Bible? And they may answer yes. And then my next question to myself on Monday, I was like, am I, when I read the scriptures, when I read God's word, if I don't understand it, what do I do with it? Do I just go, eh, I'll put it on the shelf. Or do I call up a friend and say, hey, do you understand this? Can we talk about this? Do, do you call somebody up and say, hey, what do you got in five or an hour? Can I meet you in an hour and discuss this? Because I'm struggling with this passage. Or do we just set it down and say, maybe I'll get to it. Maybe it'll come to me. And then I also was thinking, how do we study the scriptures together? Do we study the scriptures together? Are we making, uh, are we making the effort to go study scripture with people or not? I told a couple people this week, I came in Wednesday evening to set up chairs for prayer meeting. And it was about 6.30 and nobody was showing up yet. Till Ben came, Ben Russell came. But before Ben got there, I was like, I don't want to be here. Because the week I had was tiring. I said, I don't want to be here, God. I hope nobody shows up. And then Ben comes through the door, and I'm like, yes, okay, one person's here. We're going to pray together. Because I love Ben Russell. He prays well. He, he wants to know more about God. And then the barons come in. And then we study Psalm chapter 1, right? And we talked about prayer and what a time. I got done at 8 o'clock. We, we put the chairs away. I lock up and I go back to the house. And I was like, that wasn't a wasted time. Why was I saying I don't want to be here at first? So are you not in error because you don't know the Scripture? Are we making intentional time to study together, to read together, to answer questions that we struggle with together? Because there's hard things in, in Scripture. So that's the first thought I had this week. Do you not know the Scripture? And then the power of God. Go with me to Romans. This is where I landed in Romans because if you want to know about the power of God, the Apostle Paul gives us a little, little hint here about the power of God. Because Jesus is like, you don't know the power of God, Sadducees. 
Now, here's Paul in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 16. Look what Paul writes to the Roman church. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Do you not know the power of God, Sadducees, Jesus says? And Paul here in Romans says, the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. The power of God, the gospel message, and we know if you're studying with us in Mark, the gospel according to Mark, what does he start with? This is about Jesus, the good news, about Jesus the Messiah, the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. And nobody has an excuse to say, well, I don't know the power of God. Well, it goes back to the creation of the world. The power of God. So the Sadducees want to know whose wife will she be? And Jesus answered them, are you not an heir because you don't know the scriptures? And are you not an heir because you don't know the power of God? You're mistaken. You should know this. Because Moses said, the God, God is the God of the living, not the dead. Okay? So, if you want to remember kind of a first point, or first two points, know the scriptures. Second point, understand and know the power of God, which is the gospel message. Jesus Christ. And then you keep going here, okay? Then verse 28 comes. So you got the Sadducees. They wanted their question answered. They got it. They might not, might not have been happy. They just said, Jesus called us mistaken. We're leaders here. We're, we're teaching the, about the Pentateuch. We're following it. He's saying we're mistaken. What's up with that Jesus? And then upon hearing this, a teacher of the law, I'm bringing in another gospel, Matthew, which says an expert of the law. Okay. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. I didn't see much of a debate there, but that's beside the point. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. So he notices Jesus, and hears Jesus give this good answer. And so he asks a question to Jesus. He says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Remember, he's a teacher of the law. It, are there any Old Testament scholars? How many laws are there in the Old Testament? 
It's about, if I, if I remember reading correctly, it's like 617 maybe, or something like that. It's 600 and something. So this law teacher says, hey Jesus, out of that many 600 and whatever laws God, Jesus, just tell me what's the most important. That's all I want to know. Now, this question is not like, I don't think he really wants to know the answer. He just wants to kind of make Jesus answer wrongly, like everybody else, okay? And Jesus always has the best answer, right? Does he always have the best answer? Sometimes we give an answer and we're like, okay, can I take that back? That was not what I wanted to say. Jesus wanted to say what he wanted to say, and when he said it, it was there. He, he didn't want to take anything back. The most important one he answered is this. Where does he go to? The law. Is this a teacher of the law? And the most important one is found in your writings, teacher. Jesus says, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Now, what did the teacher want to know? One. Jesus gives two. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Another, I'm bringing in Matthew again. At the end it says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Now when you think of a hanger, you have the law and the prophets. Or you have, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love, the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. You have those as the hangers, okay? the top hangers, and what's hanging on them? All of the law and prophets. That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? So Jesus doesn't just give one, he gives two. First, you've got to love God with everything you have. You don't have to raise your hand, but how, much, how many of us can honestly say, I love God with everything, all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind. How many of us can say, yes, I do it every day? That'd be a hard one to answer, right? Because sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we don't, you know, we don't do it. And then the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Why does Jesus put these two together? Because I think this. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what are you going to do to the neighbor next to you? You're probably going to do the same. You're going to love them. You're going to care for them. You're going to help them. He gives two. And then the teacher says, Jesus, that was a good answer. Well said. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now he adds something else. Okay? So I, the teacher understands what Jesus is saying, yes? I understand what Jesus is saying. We understand what Jesus is saying. But then you get Jesus. His response back to how the teacher answered him, 
When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, so this teacher answered wisely back to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him. It doesn't say look, but I put that in there. Jesus looks at him and says to this guy, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Man, if I got that response after all this conversation, I, I've answered wisely back to Jesus, and Jesus looks at me and says, you're so close. You are really close. I'd be like, well, what do I got to do? What do I need to do? Like, Jesus, what are you telling me I got to do? You are not far from the kingdom of God. And if you remember, go back to chapter 10 real quick. Chapter 10 People were bringing little children to Jesus, right? And the disciples were like, don't bring Jesus those children. He, you're going to waste his time. He's busy. And Jesus says, no, let them come. And Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, listen to this, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus says you have to receive the kingdom of God. It's a gift. You have to receive it like a little child. And then you get the rich, remember that young man comes running to Jesus and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, what? One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, Give to the poor, and then come follow me. And then you can have treasures in heaven. And then the man fell, or his countenance fell. He's sad because he had so much wealth. And then here, Jesus tells this teacher of the law, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This teacher of the law, I believe, did not want to give something up. He didn't want to give up what he already knew. He's like, I'm doing everything, Jesus. I've answered wisely to you. I've done it all. I'm doing it all. But Jesus says, just like he said to that man that didn't want to sell everything he had and give that up and go follow Jesus, this man probably didn't want to give up his teachings his already, that he already knew. He didn't want to say, well, I can give that up and follow you, Jesus. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And then I brought, we're studying Proverbs on thir Thursday mornings, but this is one that we haven't read yet. We're going to get there in a few weeks. But Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 says this. You don't have to turn there, but it says this. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Do you notice people in the world that they think they're doing right? They're like, man, this is so, we're doing everything right. And then we look at it like, that is not right. What are you doing? And then this proverb, there is a way that seems right. It might be doing some good things, but it's not really the right thing to do. It's going to lead in death, destruction. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God, teacher of the law. You're doing right, but you're, 
you need to do a little more, a little different. You're not far. And then I love the end of this section. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. That was finally the last straw for people to come and ask Jesus questions. They're like, okay, we've had it. Jesus, you're, you've answered everything we have so far, so we're done. Nobody asked him any more questions from then on out. And you see in that know the Scriptures, know the power of God, but going back to last week, what do we give back to God? We give back to God our love with everything we have, everything we have. I mean, whatever you're doing, your mind, what you're thinking, what you're doing with people, what your, uh, your strength, your, whatever you're doing, you love God with all of that. And you love the person next to you. You love the person next to you. And I think if you know the Scriptures and you know the power of God and you're studying the Scriptures, you're going to find things in there that will help you live with other people. <laughs> My favorite thing in the book of Romans is if, it is all, if at all possible, live at peace with everyone. And then later in that passage, it says, love, which we're talking about, love your neighbor. Love does no harm to your neighbor. So whatever we do to our neighbor, would we want them to do it to us? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. If I see a neighbor in need and give them that need, and if I'm in that need later on in life, would I want somebody to give it to me? Yes. So love your neighbor as yourself. So know the scriptures, know the power of God, and love God with everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are simple things on paper, right? But it's hard to live by. I've had a lot of times, you've probably as well, it's hard to love another person sometimes. But we have to do it. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking, there may be some of us that are not, you're almost there. You're not far from the kingdom of God. We may know people like that. If you're one of them that says, I'm close, I need to do something about it. Today's the day to do it. So if, when we're coming to sing this last song today, if you need to make a decision of any kind, I'll be up here to pray with you. You can find somebody that you trust to pray with you or for you. You can join this church if you're like, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I just don't know what church to join. Maybe you want to join this one. And then the most important one, you know, you heard it. From Paul in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. Jesus Christ is the good news that came into this world as a baby that I mentioned earlier. He did his ministry. He rode into the city of Jerusalem where he's going to die on a donkey in a humble position. 
died on a cross, was taken off the cross, was buried in a tomb, right? Stone was rolled in front of it. Seems like Jesus was defeated, but he wasn't. The stone was rolled back, and Jesus is gone. The tomb was empty, and that's what salvation is. We are sinners. We repent of that sin. We say, I can't do it on my own. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You may be doing right in your own eyes, but you say, Jesus, I need you. You repent, you confess Jesus, then you're baptized. What a picture that is. You go into the, the water, you're buried with Jesus, and then you're raised to a new life. My favorite baptism passage is Romans again. Paul says, you're buried with Jesus, and you're raised to a new life. You're forgiven. Who forgives sins but God? Jesus forgives you. And the Holy Spirit is now living in you. And that's another power that we can talk about. But if you need to do that, any decision, don't go a minute without making it. Talk to someone. Pray with me today. God, as we come to you, we humbly say, we can't do it without you. We love you. We praise you for how you are in control. How this last week of Jesus' life shows us what he went through. As we go through this week, help us to keep in mind that Jesus is going to the cross. He died for the sins of the world. He was put in a tomb, but death was defeated. He rose from the grave. Help us to come to you in repentance, in faith, in confession, belief, knowing that you can only save us. Thank you for the gospel according to Mark today. Help us to live these truths out so that people will know that we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing our closing song. So, so, so kind to me. me.
think of any other way to end like we started Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people were shouting Hosanna save us help us you're the king go in peace